Hello, and welcome back to your bartender's favorite podcast, Beethoven Walks Into a Bar. I'm Mike Gordon, Principal Flute of the Kansas City Symphony. I'm Jason Sieber, the Associate Conductor. And I'm Stephanie Brimhall, the Education Manager. Seeing as the title of this podcast is Beethoven Walks Into a Bar, it seems fitting to bring up Beethoven every now and then. I'm not sure there has ever been a season that's gone by where a tune of Beethoven's hasn't graced the ears of eager symphony patrons, but this year being the 250th anniversary of his birth, we performed quite a few of his works on stage and had planned many more. And like many orchestras, our big finale, the piece de résistance, was going to be Beethoven's epic Ninth Symphony. The most recognizable tune, of course, in Beethoven's Ninth is one of those universal melodies that everyone recognizes. Even if they don't know the title of the piece or the composer's name, they definitely know this melody. The melody is, of course, Ode to Joy, and it comes from the fourth movement of the Ninth Symphony. And although this fourth movement may be the most famous, the three movements that come before it contain some pretty incredible music as well, of course. You know, they do. And in fact, I really love playing the scherzo movement, which is the second movement of Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. I love playing that for students on education concerts. It's got a great energy and it's it's just constantly moving. There's there's just a lot of great stuff to listen to and and I really take a lot of pride knowing that we are introducing most of these kids to this music for the very first time. Do you guys have any memories of uh, hearing or performing Beethoven 9? Oh, sure. I mean, I've performed it myself uh, many, many times, and it's always incredibly powerful. But actually, I was fortunate enough to be part of a really unique performance uh, several years ago, uh, I've maybe talked about a couple of times that many of us go to uh, Lansing Prison, and we've also been to Leavenworth Federal Penitentiary to play concerts for the inmates. And it's been an unbelievable uh, experience to go there and be inside the prisons and see what that's like and interact with the inmates and share music with them and give them an opportunity to tell us some about their stories, about their uh, history and their connection with music and, and to share that for us with them. But we went, and of course we can't bring an orchestra, so we had a program of all Beethoven uh, using a woodwind quintet, which is flute, oboe, clarinet, bassoon, horn, and a string quintet, which would be two violins, uh, viola, cello, bass. And so just with those 10 instruments, we played the Ode to Joy from Beethoven's Nine, uh, Ninth Symphony as part of this program. And we invited the prisoners to be the chorus and we had them sing along. We brought words for them in English uh, that they could sing with us. And it was incredibly moving uh, to be in this little uh, theater with them uh, standing and singing Beethoven nine uh ode to joy it was it was really really incredible and and one of the most amazing things about being there is um you know it's a totally surreal experience in a way it's disarming because uh you know there are guards around you're in a relatively safe controlled environment i mean we've never experienced anything um frightening there at all and so it's an opportunity where i think you feel just 
very free to speak to the inmates um, in a natural way without thinking about it. And, and one of the things that they enjoy most about it is the ability to have that interaction because it's actually something they lack very much. They interact with each other, but not with people who, who are, you know, outside of the prison uh, in, in free society. And just to be able to talk to them and for them to be able to converse in a dignified and respectful and safe way uh, is one of the best things. So to, sh- so to share that music with them that way was incredibly powerful. I think one of the coolest parts about, certainly about that experience, um, is not just taking music in in there and playing for them, which is very meaningful on its own, but be, um, having them be able to be a part of the performance and to join in and kind of this communal way, I think was probably a really special and powerful moment. I, I wish I could have been there. Hmm. Well, I couldn't have, I wasn't with the symphony yet when you did that first performance, Mike, but I did see one of your performances at Leavenworth uh, with a similar small group. And it was one of the most inspiring things I've ever seen. And, and you guys did play some Beethoven that day as well. I think um, what you and several other the Kansas City Symphony musicians have brought to these prisons has been nothing short of remarkable and and I really appreciate um, you and your colleagues, what, what you're doing to serve the community all the time. Um, my Beethoven 9 story is nowhere near as uh, impactful as that. But I remember the first time that, you know, I've conducted parts of it. The last movement, the opening of the last movement is a famous conducting excerpt. It's really difficult with the cello bass recit and, and all the music from the different, for the, for the first three movements coming back. Um, so maybe that's sort of like a bad memory most of the time because I'm just <laughs> fighting to get through it and making sure it doesn't fall apart and is still really exciting. But I remember playing it, the full piece, the first time uh, with a regional orchestra in Ohio right after I finished undergrad. And the whole performance was just overwhelmingly powerful and incredible. It always is of this piece. But I remember particularly the third movement, the slow movement, playing this beautiful first violin melody that I had practiced as an excerpt many times and it's really challenging as an excerpt to really sustain the line and phrase it the way you want to phrase it. Um, but for the first time, I stopped thinking all about that. And all I could think was, this is some of the most magical music I've ever played in my entire life. And, and I remember being on stage in that moment thinking, wow, wow, wow. This is what Beethoven is all about. Yeah, the, like, I, like I said, Ode to Joy is incredible. It's one of the best melodies ever written. But there's so much good music in the piece. For sure. Mike, do you remember, were you on the concert at Rice in um, 2003? So what would it have been, your third year there? Yeah, I would, I would have been there. You, did you play on that on Beethoven 9 that year? Yeah, yeah, I did. So um, I did also. And what was funny was um, normally we are assigned parts for all of those concerts. Um, and I, shortly before the castings were posted for that performance, Larry Ratcliffe called me and asked if I would rather play second clarinet on Beethoven 9 for the, it was the final concert of the school year, but it was also the final, like it would have been my last concert at Rice too. This is the conductor Um, you're talking about. Yes, Larry, the conductor. And he called me and asked if I would rather play second clarinet on Beethoven 9, or if I'd rather play first clarinet on, I don't even know which um, overture it was. It, It would have been a much more challenging clarinet part and probably much more showy clarinet part than second clarinet in Beethoven. But without hesitating, I was like, I absolutely want to play second on Beethoven nine. Like I want to be a part of this. Um, I, you know, it was something I hadn't ever played it before. I've played it several times since. 
Um, but I just, I remember, you know, being in those rehearsals and then at those performances and just really kind of soaking up um, kind of the, how massive it all was. It was a, a great decision on my part. Well, I know what overture it must not have been, and that is Bernstein's <laughs> Candide Overture, because you talked in a previous episode, I think like eight times about how much you love that overture. So it was clearly not Candide Overture. It was not, Or you might have sure. been a little bit more torn. <laughs> I, I probably would have. Yes, you're right. <laughs> well, we all know that uh, Beethoven's Ninth Symphony isn't complete without voices. And in addition to a quartet of soloists, the symphony includes a full chorus. And the Kansas City Symphony is so incredibly fortunate to have quite literally an army of musicians standing behind us at many of our performances. And joining us today is the president of the Kansas City Symphony Chorus, Kim Gear. So welcome to the show, Kim. Thanks so much for joining us today. Well, thank you. I'm, I told Mike earlier I'm really excited to get to hang out with the cool kids. Today. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the other podcast. Yeah, I don't know if that's, that's the this other one. one. <laughs> well, we're really excited to hang out with you. And so, so tell us, just to get started, you know, you rehearse for for weeks or maybe even months to prepare for a Beethoven nine performance, and I know you've you've sang it with us before. What what is it like when you finally get to the first rehearsal with the orchestra and the whole piece is put together and you're there in the hall and you finally get to hear the incredible uh, uh, power and and size and mass of of the piece? Well, when we first come to rehearsal, we usually don't hear the whole piece in its entirety until dress rehearsal because you know we're busy we want to get the soloists rehearsal done and then the chorus what we kind of do it backwards and a lot of times we get released before the whole piece is rehearsed but um we i jokingly say i have a love hate relationship with with the piece as a singer because for a soprano and a tenor especially that it is incredibly high <laughs> all the time. And so for me, it, it once I get into the rehearsals and we get with the orchestra, then all of it comes together and you're like, oh, yeah, this is so great. And at the ends of the performances, before practically before you all are even done playing your last note, the audience is on its feet. And then then I then I love it. But while I'm rehearsing it, it's hard. Oh, hard. <laughs> it's so, so hard. <laughs> you know, you're talking about not getting to hear it all the way through, too, until the dress rehearsal. And mm -hmm. this certainly isn't true of all, you know, choral pieces with orchestra. But for Beethoven, the chorus sits through the first three movements. Exactly. And yeah. So, I mean, you literally don't, you don't hear everything because you, you wouldn't need to be at rehearsal for the first three movements. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, and and uh, like I said, a lot of times we just only rehearse, even with the orchestra, the part that we're singing, and that's the fourth mm -hmm. movement. And and the other three are, what, almost 45, 50 minutes long mm -hmm. before mm -hmm. we even get to sing. So we get in the loft, and w a lot of us, you know, are kind of, because you know we come we're coming from day jobs and things like that it can get really it gets kind of warm up there and really long and um so i to keep my mind in the 
in the game, I start picking out things I want to listen for each time. And mm. right now I couldn't tell you what any of those things are, but each each time I listen to it, I always I wait or look for something else to glom onto and pick out. Or mm-hmm. I find things mm. I didn't every time I find things that I don't a different thing every time. Yeah. Now, Kim, I'm as part of my job as associate conductor, I have the privilege of working with our sensational chorus several times throughout the year, Christmas festivals, some of the movies that we do mm-hmm. that involve a choral part. And every time I'm just so grateful for the wonderful people, the wonderful musicians that make up the symphony chorus and the opportunity to work with them. What many people in Kansas City uh, that come to hear a performance with the chorus might not realize is that it is a group of volunteers. It's hard to believe because the the talent level is so exceptional. The music making is incredible. Um, but just tell us a little bit about the structure of the Kansas City Symphony Chorus, how long it's been in existence, how many members there are, and um, where do all these singers come from? You mentioned that everyone has a different day job, of course. Well, um, I'm trying to remember, you asked how long it's been in existence. It's I want to say since the late 60s, but it started out mm. as, I think, the Mendelssohn singers. I, mm. I could be wrong about that. I would have to check with our... We have a historian. Um, but we have people who have been in the chorus. We have one member who has... this would would have She would have completed her 47th season with the chorus. Wow. wow. This year. And, of course, we have brand new people. We, we actually added about 10 people at the beginning of March... To oh, no. come and help, come and sing Beethoven with us, and then remain in the chorus afterwards. So they got to come to two rehearsals. Mm. Um, but the chorus as a whole is made up, like like we said, of volunteers. We're led by an executive committee, also volu- who are also volunteers um, and members of the chorus. And uh, we have a we have such a great team of leaders. Um, they take care of things like our our internal website the Facebook social media platforms that we post things on. We have a couple of people who just do, uh, they maintain the rosters for the chorus. We, we make a roster for every performance and we have people who maintain that. And it's, it, it's the, and that is a constantly evolving thing. We have eight section leaders who are the go-to people for the, the singers uh, in the chorus. And I, I can't, it, it's hard to, condense it into one thing there are so many different people they come from all walks of life um certainly we have performers um musicians and uh music teachers in the chorus but not everyone is has music as their vocation we have someone who manages a huge trucking facility in the area um we have doctors and attorneys and we have it people and medical technicians and we have several we have several employees from cerner um mm. we have stay-at-home moms and we have stay-at-home dads and we have new parents and grandparents and great-grandparents and it, it's it's a wonderful wonderful mix of people and they they do this because they love it and it and we all talk about it, how what great therapy it is for us, and it's uh, for many people who have really stressful jobs. It's a way for them to come and just decompress. It gives them a, an outlet. A lot of them sang in college, not as a major. A lot of them sang in high school, and said, you know, I wanted to come and find a chorus to sing, and I wanted to do 
great music. And that same for me, I was a music teacher um, for a few years and then sir, uh, worked as a substitute music teacher here in Olathe, where I live. But I was not getting a whole lot of opportunities to do choral music. And that's what I really, really love to do is singing in an ensemble. And so I found out about the symphony chorus and I auditioned and here I am. Who knew nine years <laughs> later I would be the president of the chorus. <laughs> <laughs> so um, you auditioned for the, the chorus. It's a volunteer group, but you do have to audition. What is that process like? It's, uh, it's, it's really it's it's not like auditioning for the symphony it is not screened like you talked about in a couple of a couple of episodes ago um you meet with charles bruffy our chorus director um he is also the director of the kansas city chorale um and our assistant chorus director patrice sollenberger um two of the most they are the most caring people you will meet it's totally they make the audition process very safe and comfortable but you come in and meet with them sing a piece in a foreign language preferably you might do some sight singing and some pitch matching and just a little bit of conversation about um what what your availabilities are um it, but it's just a real safe process. And we actually do, ha the entire chorus uh, membership has to re-audition every three years. And this oh. this spring would have been one of our one of those years, and we decided to put it off until the end of <laughs> 2020, the 2021 season. So this time next year, hopefully, we'll be having chorus, the entire chorus auditioning again. See, Mike, not all auditions are scary and panic attack inducing, right? <laughs> well, you know, Kim is just very cool and calm and collected. She's not all <laughs> anxious like I am. But I, I do think I want to say, you know, the it shouldn't be overlooked the level of, of commitment that uh, these folks are signing up for uh, when, they, when they join our symphony chorus. I mean, the, the symphony chorus sings... Um, what three or four three, three classical three, series, three a year, classical yeah. series uh, weekends a year, but they are also an essential part of Christmas time. They're singing with us, you know, for at least a couple of weeks uh, during the month of December, if not more. Uh, and depending on what's required, as far as you know, instrumentation, they might they've done films with us. They've done um, Pops concerts, you know, pops concerts with us, mm -hmm. literally anything. So they're with us a whole lot through the course of the season. Yeah, it, I'm glad you said that because when I first became a member of the chorus, we were doing a classical in the fall and a classical in the spring, and then we would do Messiah and Christmas Festival in December. And we have now we're doing two or three. This year it would have been three classical series. Um, we did. Carmina, we sang Carmina Barana again with the with the ballet and a right. small ensemble of our men sang on the Pirates of the Caribbean concert. And so since I had some time during this whole quarantine, I started doing some math, which I don't do if I have <laughs> if I don't have to, I don't. But I started I started thinking about how much time is involved and we have our corporate rehearsals certainly once a week and they're about two and a half hours long. And then um, we have three rehearsals in a performance week, uh, usually a piano and then two with the orchestra and then our three performances. So I started adding up the hours that, that a chorus member puts in 
just corporately. And it came to about 200 hours over the course of a season. And so when you start doing, when you start multiplying that collectively on the, um, we have 174 members right now. And so if you multiply that 200 hours by 174 mm-hmm. people, that's assuming they all get to sing all the concerts. It It's well into the tens of thousands of hours they put in. And that's just what they put in together because mm-hmm. we, we are responsible for learning our music on our own. So when we come together, we can work on all of the the little details and and nuances and the musicality and technical um, points that it, Charles is so he is an expert at, at this. He's a master at at getting 150 people or so to put a T on the third sixteenth note of a beat. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, and that's what why we have to work on our own. And I know you all in the orchestra do the same thing. You learn your parts on your own and you come together and. So we do the same thing. I was going to mention two things that you just brought up. First of all, um, be careful with all those numbers because you might get appointed historian as well as president because that was uh, some really helpful, important information about the uh, chorus. But you also mentioned Charles Bruffy. And as uh, one of my favorite colleagues, Charles is incredible. Like you said, working with um, all these people coming from all different places in life and coming from their day jobs. And not only is he super positive and an incredible musician, but he is highly detail-oriented. And the times where I work with you guys and he's kind of by my side and, you know, obviously he's much, much more experienced working with a chorus than I am. But I think, you know, I sang in choruses, so I feel like I know what I'm doing. You know, I'm doing okay up here. And then Charles will hear something that's like the most minor detail that just blew right over my head and he'll say enunciate this or do this or where are you breathing and all these little details and like you said he's a master of putting all that together and also getting all the heart and soul Mm. out of what you guys are singing about there's many times where i've where he's paused and really had us think about the text and and that's changed the color of the way you guys are singing something and and i always admire him and enjoy the opportunity to work with him anytime i can yeah do you um so you, you obviously work with with Charles regularly and then you'll get to work with Jason some and then Michael Stern our music director some um but there are instances where the chorus will need to work with um a guest conductor who might be coming in certainly for like Messiah or uh, maybe a classical week at some point um and also soloists who come in and join the orchestra in solo capacities do you have any favorite memories of either guest conductors or guest soloists or any memories surrounding those? I do. Um, As far as favorite conductors, of course, our most recent guest conductor, Matthew Halls, uh, came in at the end of February to do, to conduct uh, the Beethoven Mass and C, which I have to say that needs to be in the, more in the repertoire as a side note, many of it, most of us had never sung it. Even the soloist had told had said to me, you know, I've never done this, and and it was such a beautiful, beautiful piece of music, and I was I'm so glad we got the chance to do it and work with Matthew. Um, he was he's so generous to the chorus, and so he's definitely a chorus favorite. When I was um, pretty new, I think it was my third season, maybe in 2015, we did a piece called ba- Ballad of Canada. Mm-hmm. And Picasso Zuckerman was the 
guest conductor. And of course, that was just a, a huge deal on top of it, on just in and of itself. But there was this tiny, about a six measure solo in the piece. And we didn't know what we were going to, you know, how that was going to be, who was going to do that. I mean, we're going to hire someone to come in and sing six measures. And so it was decided that a chorus member would do it. So we had, and it was a female solo. We had all of these people, all of these women auditioned and Charles and Patrice narrowed it down to four or five people. And then they narrowed it down to three people. And I was lucky enough to be one of them. And they had us audition for Maestro Zuckerman. Pinky. <laughs> you could just call him Pinky because that's what I Michael did does. Not, I did not call him Pinky. Um, <laughs> and that was that was one of the most memorable moments for me in the chorus. Uh, but that and some soloists that we have worked with. I was just thinking about Carmina's our performance of Carmina Barana last year. Mm-hmm. Hugh Russell, the baritone. Mm-hmm. was it just in performance he was a hoot he was terrific and uh but to get we i had an opportunity to visit with him at dinner after one of the performances he was just a really fun lovely person and what you learn about that when you get to interact with those with soloists and conductors a little bit they're just all regular people Mm-hmm. <laughs> they live yep. in houses and have pets and things like that yep <laughs> i don't know if you'd call me regular but all the rest of the conductors yeah they're <laughs> They're regular. Yeah. <laughs> One of the, um, well, first, Zuckerman, Pinky, whatever whatever you want to call him, you know, he has such gravitas, obviously, when he's on stage, and his playing is incredible, his conducting, his intensity, and then when he's off stage, he's hilarious. And I happened to run into him uh, in the hallway after his most recent visit this season, right? Um, and... And to make a long story short, we had the most unlikely conversation that I ever thought I would have had with Pinkus Zuckerman. <laughs> he starts asking me about flute head joints. Because wow. his, his wife is a flutist, and he just starts recommending to me a particular flute head joint. And I think, why am I sitting here and Pinkus Zuckerman is recommending to me a flute head joint? This makes no sense. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to derail us even more because I have a... a a funny Pinkus Zuckerman story that's even more random than that. And uh, this happened this season when he was here doing, um, gosh, I forget what he was playing, but it was at the event where he and Michael Stern um, kind of emceed the Life's Virtuoso documentary of Isaac Stern's life. And I had picked up Pinky from the hotel and I was bringing him to, to the event. And we were walking in and he was like, fussing with his jacket and he could not get his coat zipped up all the way like the zipper was totally stuck and um he like he just was messing with it and grumbling about it like all the way down the hall and i told him i was like if you just step out of it i i'll be happy to work on it for you back here backstage because he needed to get on stage and i ended up fixing it and it was like the most mind-blowing thing to him that I was able to fix his jacket. He was like, this has been broken for five years. And I, I somehow, through my mom powers, because if you have children, you know just how hard it is to zip those kids up in those coats. My mom powers allowed me to save Pinkus Zuckerman's coat. Wow. Uh, that's wow. a pretty good story. Well, I, you know, where I was going with this initially is that one of the things that impresses me so much always about the chorus and with, 
would stress me out as a musician is you, uh, you know, you rehearse for weeks and weeks with Charles, of course. And then, um, you know, especially when it's with Michael, who's, who's here all the time, I assume there's some coordination between them, perhaps about, you know, how the final performance is going to go. I don't know how that works with, with other guest conductors that we have, but, but either way, you get used to working with a particular conductor for weeks rehearsing, and then all of a sudden, just like two days before the concert, you have a new guy up there. And if it's not Michael, it's someone you know who you may be completely unfamiliar with, because even if they've been here before, they haven't necessarily done a choral concert uh, here before. And you know, a, a lot of these people are are titans of classical music and sometimes their mere presence is intimidating to us. So what, what does that feel like for you when you, when you get in front of the conductor for the concert the first time, whether Um, it's Michael or whoever? One of the things that Charles has said to us before about getting ready, he, he calls himself our preparer and he does everything in his power to make sure we are, um, that we know the music, that we have worked out all of our details to the point that it, it's in our muscle memory. He says it, that we make sure we get it into our DNA. So when a guest conductor comes in and he wants to change a little thing, we, we can because it's, we, we're so well prepared that it's not a matter of, uh, you know, we don't feel uncomfortable with the music. We're, we're totally into it. And he can, any, anyone who then is in front of us can, can shape and, and mold the way they, the way they would like. Um, We do though, sometimes we do do some coordination and we uh, do ask for information, like from Maestro Halls, we asked for his tempos, for Mass and C because we, we use recordings just, you know, to learn, again, a, a Charlesism at, to learn how the song goes. And we, the a particular recording we had at first was much slower than um, Matthew wanted to take it. And so we found another, rec- he sent us his information. We found another recording that more closely matched it. So there is some, there is some behind the scenes prep there that does happen. And so we feel pretty comfortable going in, especially um, a couple of our guest conductors have had quite a bit of choral background. And so they were very in tune with what we were doing and are familiar, you know, with Charles's reputation as a choral conductor as well. So that makes it easier. Sometimes it is kind of a, you know, you feel like you're getting a big curveball sometimes when you mm-hmm. get into that first rehearsal with a guest conductor. But most of the time we, we are ready and kind of ready for anything. Yeah. Well, you mentioned that, well, I, I don't remember who mentioned it, but you usually only have two, maybe three rehearsals total mm-hmm. with whoever's on the podium. So you really do have to be flexible. You have to be super prepared, and you guys always are. Anytime that you come in for your first Christmas festival rehearsal, it's always a, a joy 
to know, oh, they already have this. We're just working on little small details, like I said. Well, Kim, this has been a really great discussion. We've loved learning more about the symphony chorus. It is one of the um, ensembles that we are so proud of to be able to collaborate with all the time at the symphony. And we appreciate you and your colleagues and all your dedication and commitment to excellent music making and serving the KC community. Uh, but we can't let you out of here today without asking our two favorite questions. What is your favorite drink, especially after one of those stressful rehearsals when someone like me's on the podium or perhaps <laughs> your first rehearsal with a, a guest conductor that is all of a sudden taking a tempo that's almost twice as fast as you thought it was going to go. What is your favorite drink after a, one of those type of rehearsals? Well, um, this, this is my favorite drink. I don't, I don't do it after rehearsals or concerts cause it's too late in the night to do it. <laughs> She's very responsible. Well, it would involve me getting out the blender and all of that. So, you know, this, this is my go-to mostly in the summer drink. Um, it does not involve fancy cherries or anything like oh, that. Hey now. Ooh, I like it. <laughs> Nothing wrong with fancy oh, cherries. I, yeah, I watched the mixology videos and I was like, <laughs> what? And, you know, and the, all these bottles with the corks in them. No, this is okay. um, my sister-in-law we're together a couple weeks ago and we, when we were out of town and um, we decided to name this. Uh, my favorite drink is a margarita, but we have a special one and, and we decided to name it because it's the recipe came from one of my uncles, my mom's brother. His name was LC. So we decided to call them LC's redneck margaritas. Yes. <laughs> and they are, it's three simple ingredients. It's frozen limeade concentrate. Yep. Nice. And tequila in equal portions. Fill yep. your blender, yeah. blend it up, and stir in a 12 ounce beer. Ah, not nice. good so beer. It's like a, don't use good beer. Just use cheap beer. Bush light, you know, whatever. Oh, yeah. Wow. And don't, and don't blend the beer in, stir it, because then it will. Oh. Because, you know, yeah. foam. You don't want foam. it to foam yeah, up, yeah. right? You don't that's, want it to explode. No. But Stirred, that is a shaken. great drink for floating in the pool, and we love them. I am oh, totally trying nice. that. You should. Try that. It's so great. It's so great. <laughs> so a My- couple weeks ago, we had Sterninis, and now we have Elsie's <laughs> yeah. Redneck Margaritas. Elsie <laughs> it is, right? Elsie, the initials, LC. yeah. Okay. For Lincoln yes. Curtis. His name was Lincoln Curtis. Okay, but good. he was known yeah. as LC. My f- my family has taken a trip up to the mountains here in a little bit, and I feel like uh, that's like good, like like sitting on the edge of the river drinking LC's yes, redneck man. margaritas. Nice. Yes. Yeah, those Sounds are the, delicious. It's a party in a blender. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing it. Nice. And what would you, uh, if Beethoven were uh, having one of these redneck margaritas with you, let's oh, say, yeah. sitting poolside? What would you ask him? Well, because besides I what kind have... of sunscreen, besides what kind of sunscreen he's using? <laughs> well, be and and I've said this to a couple of people that I've I was telling someone yesterday that I was going to be recording this and I got to ask Beethoven a question and it was really funny. Her question was the same as mine. And of course, mm. after a couple of these margaritas, I would be totally not afraid to ask him. Oh good. <laughs> Just dude, what was the deal with the soprano part on the Beethoven nine? Did, did, <laughs> did someone dump you for a tenor? You know, it was, and you just did that as punishment. I was like, what's the deal? Dude. I like that. Dude. Definitely start with dude. Yeah. My, I nice. told my mom I was going to say that. And she said, are you really going to say dude? <laughs> so, 
said, yes, I am. I probably would. I start many sentences with dude. Dude, come on. All of them. Yeah. Yeah. Especially after a few margaritas. (laughs) Well, as you know, we like to leave you each week with some recommended listening here on Beethoven Walks Into a Bar. And my recommended listening this week is not a recording of Beethoven 9, although there's many, many good ones of that. Um, I'm going to recommend another amazing choral piece, one of my favorite choral works, and that's Mahler's Symphony No. 2. And my favorite recording of it of all time is Leonard Bernstein with the New York Philharmonic on Deutsche Grammophon. The end of the last movement is nothing short of epic. So definitely check that out. Well, and uh, I was thinking in a choral direction as well, of course. And one of the pieces uh, we play with the chorus fairly regularly is uh, the Verdi Requiem. <gasps> and, uh, oh, there you go. Kim, Kim's excited. Kim loves the Verdi Requiem. I love it too. And uh, I found this incredible uh, recording uh, with the uh, La Scala Orchestra and Chorus on Spotify. And uh, it's with a couple of singers whose names you might know. Luciano Pavarotti and eh. Sam Raimi, and mm. it also includes Cheryl Studer and Delora Zajic uh, with Ricardo Moody, and it's just an incredible recording. So check that out. You, Mike, you, that was one of my, I was going to say that was one of my most memorable performances back in two, 2014 when we did that. That that piece changed my life. I don't know. Oh, wow. It was so, oh, it was so intense. But I think the same, I think I have the same recording. But my recording is the Benjamin Britten War Requiem that we did in 2017. And this, the particular recording was done in 1963 um, with Benjamin Britten as the conductor. Mm. And uh, Dietrich Fischer Dieskau is the baritone. Peter, it, is it Piers, is the tenor. And Galina Vishnevskia was the soprano who did not get to sing the premiere because the Soviet government would not let her wow um travel to to sing it but on this recording she is on this recording and a couple of cool things about this is the sound engineer recorded some of the rehearsal outtakes so you Ooh. hear britain giving notes to the chorus and it's um one of the the boys chorus on there is the high street school boys choir and we learned just last year when we did after we did the ACDA American Choral Directors Association performance, we were backstage with John Rutter, who graciously stayed to sign all of his all you know signed scores for us. He was one he was in that high school boys choir on that recording. Wow. And I wow. have video, I shot video of him talking about it and he was talking about Britain and what a great conductor he was and um how what what a great experience that was for him. Oh, cool. So it's a great recording. I listened to the rehearsal tracks yesterday, and he says, Britton says some really funny things to the, to the group. <laughs> Very cool. I'm actually recommending a recording that the symphony did with the women of the Kansas City Symphony Chorus, and that is Holst's The Planets which we did a few years back and you can now listen to. It's a great recording. I definitely recommend you take a listen. Well, I want to thank Kim Gear, our wonderful guest today, for joining us on Beethoven Walks Into a Bar. Uh, it was a real pleasure to have you and talk all about the chorus and especially about Beethoven 9 and that ridiculously hard soprano part. <laughs> Kim, thank you so much for joining us today. We really, really appreciate it. 
Oh, it was my pleasure. It was really a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. You bet. And hopefully we'll be doing some performances with the chorus again in the near future next season. That's what we're hoping to. Each season, our musicians need thousands of individual pieces of printed music prepared, delivered to them, and placed on stage for concerts. Thankfully, I'm not the one responsible for it all. I'd probably lose half of it. We'll be talking to one of our true unsung heroes here at the Kansas City Symphony, our principal librarian, Elena Lentz-Talley. We'll learn all about what it takes to make this massive task happen smoothly for every performance week in and week out. We'll also learn about the vast knowledge and skill set required to be a librarian. When you see Elena walk across the stage with an armload of scores, those are only the final steps in a long journey. Join us next time on Beethoven Walks Into a Bar.